Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast where we shall be looking at part one of The Curse of King Tut's Tomb from 2006. This film is commonly split into two parts because it's about three hours long otherwise, so I shall be treating part one and part two individually. This means that unlike other two-part episodes that I've done, I shall be rating both parts of the film out of ten. In terms of the layout of the episode, we shall start with a little background information on the film, then a section on the historical accuracy, and finally, I shall review the film. Okay, you are a controversial Egyptologist who has ideas that are not accepted by mainstream historians. However, your claims are about to be proven right. You shall discover the tomb of the boy pharaoh, but little do you realise that you shall also unleash a terrible evil upon the earth. The Curse of King Tut's Tomb. Originally, Sylvia Coloca known for films such as Van Helsing, was supposed to play the part of Dr. Azealia. However, due to a scheduling clash, Leonor Varela, who had previously played Cleopatra in a 1999 miniseries, got the role instead. Jonathan Hyde, who plays the villain Morgan Sinclair in the film, claimed after the film's release that it was, well in his words, an absolute ghastly pile of tosh and claimed that he only took the role because he had never been to India before. Truly a glitteringly positive advert for the film there. Other members of the cast are Casper Van Dien, who plays the main character, Danny Fremont, Malcolm McDowell, who plays the villainous leader of the Hellfire Club, Nathan Keynes, and Tat Wally, who plays Rembrandt, a dynamite expert, 
Because apparently, what would an excavation be without dynamite? Okay, so we've now arrived at the historical accuracy section of this episode. And essentially, I'm just going to talk about what the film does well and poorly. So to begin with, as is often the case with these films, it opens with a flashback scene to ancient Egypt. The very first thing that is said is that Akhetaten is the capital city of Tutankhamun. This is actually true. At the beginning of his reign, Akhetaten, otherwise known as Amara, was indeed the capital, though later he would move the capital back to Memphis. It is worth noting, however, that the very overt pyramids in the background are actually present at Saqqara, not Akhetaten. Shortly after this claim, it says that Tutankhamun is the incarnation of Ra and Lord of Two Worlds. In fairness, pharaohs were seen as Ra's manifestation on Earth, and although they are not the Lord of Two Worlds, a common epithet for the pharaoh was Nesubiti, meaning Lord of the Two Lands. It is possible that this film is referring to this. However, admittedly, the film then claims that Tutankhamun was actually thousands of years old, and that he was tasked with keeping the evil forces of the next world at bay. So maybe they mean this when they say two worlds instead. This would obviously be incorrect. And by the way, yes, that is actually the story here. Basically put, the concept of this film is pretty damn insane and to almost parody levels. Interestingly, in this part of the film, Tutankhamun is shown wearing the lock of youth. In ancient Egypt, the lock of youth was a side lock of hair which was worn by children. It is not entirely known when this would be cut off, but it may have been when the child started going through puberty. Either way, Tutankhamun here is far too old for the lock of youth. However, considering his label as the boy king, I can at least understand why they had this here on an artistic level. The narrator then claims that Tutankhamun's reign was one of prosperity, and that he was loved by his people, and that art flourished. In total, Tutankhamun reigned for nine years. It is fair to say that he was liked above his father, Akhenaten, though this is hardly a large feat as Akhenaten was one of the most hated pharaohs of all time. Tutankhamun did help to restore traditional Egyptian art after the Amarna period, and he did also help to restore the traditional Egyptian gods after his likely father, Akhenaten tried to get rid of them. So, although the film is exaggerating here, there is at least a crumb of truth. Later in this opening scene, we see the forces of evil arrive from the underworld, led by the evil god Set. First things first, Set's depiction in this film is completely wrong. Set is normally depicted with a strangely pointy face that almost looks a bit like an anteater, and he has long ears. Whilst in the film, he is very much a winged demon with no nose. Basically put, this creature has about as much resemblance to Set as Tutankhamun has to Homer Simpson. After the opening scene, we go to the year 1922, where our hero, Danny Fremont, is teaching a class in Egyptology. During this class, he claims that many of the inscriptions of Tutankhamun have been erased. This is correct! After Tutankhamun's death, later pharaohs erased many of his cartouches from inscriptions. 
This was likely done due to the hatred of his probable father, Akhenaten, and a wish to erase him and his immediate family from history. Later still, we find out that both Danny Fremont and the villain, Dr. Sinclair, are both searching for the tomb of Tutankhamun. Dr. Sinclair says that he has pinned down the tomb to the Valley of the Kings, but claims that this means he still has 1,000 square miles to dig up. In fairness, Tutankhamun's tomb is in the Valley of the Kings. However, even Luxor today as a whole is less than half of a thousand square miles, so I feel that Sinclair may be exaggerating just a touch here. During the film, the characters become obsessed with finding a map to King Tut's tomb. If only archaeology was as easy as simply following a map, and I can say with near certainty that Howard Carter definitely did not have access to one. In his search for the map, Danny Fremont claims that Wilcox, Reisner and Carter are all searching for the tomb and all believe in the magical tablet which is one of the main plot points of the film. Firstly, these three men most certainly did not believe in a magical tablet existing in Tutankhamun's tomb. However, Howard Carter was searching for the tomb in 1922. Hardly surprising considering that he discovered the tomb later that same year. And although, as far as I'm aware, Reisner and Wilcox did not have that much to do with the search of Tutankhamun's tomb, they were at least real Egyptologists alive at the time. During the dig, the first sign that Fremont finds that they are on the correct path is the actual death mask of Tutankhamun, which just so happens to be randomly lying in the sand. Although it would be a little annoying that it was found without that much context, this would still be an incredible incredible find. But I can say with some certainty that the death mask was found in place in the tomb. Later on, when they find the first hints of the steps of the tomb, there is an inscription which Dr. Azilia reads in the wrong direction. As I have said countless times before, hieroglyphs can be read from left to right, right to left or top to bottom. But you are always reading into the faces of the animals and humans depicted, not into the back of their heads. Finally, when they discover the tomb, much to the rightful annoyance of Dr. Azelia, the character known as Rembrandt uses dynamite to blow the sand away from the opening of the tomb. Firstly, there is absolutely no way that dynamite can create such a clean hole. Secondly, even if it could, it would still not be used in archaeology. There is a reason that archaeology takes so long, and it is because measurements and pictures have to be taken and artefacts within the sand have to be discovered in situ and correctly catalogued. This is kind of impossible when they've been blown up by dynamite. Overall, this film is very poor when it comes to historical accuracy. It shows pyramids at Amarna, depicts the gods set in completely the wrong way, and seems to think that all archaeologists are constantly looking for maps to take them to tombs. However, it does get a few small things right, like saying that later pharaohs tried to erase Tutankhamun, and the film does at least name some genuine Egyptologists who would have been alive in 1922. Okay, it's now time for the review section of the episode. So in this part, I shall just say what I like and dislike about the film, and then rate it out of 10 as well. I shall start with the good parts, and I will admit 
that some of these points can also fall under the totem of so bad that it's good. First things first, the story here is ludicrous. We have Tutankhamun, a boy king who is thousands of years old, protecting the world from an ancient evil. Once he has stopped the evil by forcing them back to the underworld, he breaks a magical tablet and sends the four pieces to the four corners of the earth to make sure that this never happens again. This is completely insane, but it is at least entertaining. Further, the fact that the tablets are sent to lots of different locations makes me think that this could have been a good Uncharted slash kind of Tomb Raider-esque game. Further, although as already mentioned, Jonathan Hyde seems to have a certain amount of disdain for this film, the cast was surprisingly good. And in terms of Jonathan Hyde, who plays Dr. Sinclair, I did enjoy the part of the film where he was walking around the museum ordering that some of the items be taken to Britain. This did make his character seem quite evil and showed how much influence his character had as well. Further, this is an attitude that was still very much around in the 1920s, and fortunately an attitude which for the most part is rightly no longer tolerated. About halfway through this part of the film, we see a chase scene where Fremont is on a camel-drawn cart. This chase scene is ridiculous and also pretty entertaining. You could almost see the director's trail of thought here. He clearly wanted a horse chasing scene like in old westerns, but wanted to Egyptian it up slightly. Further, although it is ridiculous that they find the death mask of Tutankhamun just randomly lying in the sand, I did like that Fremont then buried the mask in the excavation of Sinclair, which was also going on in the Valley of the Kings. This was a cunning way of trying to throw him off the scent, though more interesting still is that Sinclair does not fall for this. This made his character seem quite clever, and this is appropriate considering he's supposed to be a very educated man after all, even if he is entirely evil. When they find the tomb of Tutankhamun, Fremont opens the door and says that he sees wonderful things. This is a fun quote, as this is reportedly what Howard Carter said when he first glimpsed inside the tomb as well. However, on a slightly sillier note, Dr. Azelia then says that she is going to release a canary into the tomb to check the air quality. She then continues to get out a budgie instead. For my American listeners, a budgie is a parakeet. This was a very strange oversight, but I will admit it did make me involuntarily laugh out loud. After discovering the tomb, Fremont gets the attention of the press. He does this so that they will have a lot of attention on the tomb, as this means that Sinclair will not be able to touch him. This is a relatively clever plan, and it leads to some footage being shot with a soundless black and white camera, which does add a cool atmosphere to these scenes. Finally for the positives, it is probably worth noting that this film is unintentionally very funny, and I will admit I did not get bored whilst watching it. Unfortunately though, we now have to go on to the parts of the film that were not so good. Firstly, the use of Tutankhamun here was entertaining, but for me it was also a little too ridiculous. Further, despite how insane the whole plot was, it somehow managed to be cliched as well. This is admittedly quite a talent, 
but it is not one that I envy. The script, for the most part, was really bad, partly because the characters have ways of bringing information up in very awkward ways. For instance, at one part in the Hellfire Club, which are the main villains of the film, they just randomly throw in that they started World War I. I guess this was done to show how evil they are and how much influence they have, but it just came across as a bit out of place and awkward. Further, although I did not get bored during this film, it also felt as if everything about it was rushing along. I felt as if the film needed to give things time to breathe so that I could truly process them. In the film's defence here, it is fair to say that I personally get bored very easily, because films very often go too far the other way. But ultimately, there is a fine art here, and it is one that the film has not quite got right. Moving on, although Fremont is not necessarily a bad character, some of the stuff he does makes him wholly unlikable. For instance, at one point, he gets a lot of the locals to dig for him with the promise of money, but then reveals that he has no intention of paying them. The way this is done is supposed to make him seem a little bit cheeky, but these people are ultimately portrayed as poor, and so rather than cheeky, at best Fremont is heartless, at worst he is evil. In general, a lot of the main characters are not very likeable. For instance, another one of them refers to the Egyptian population as primitive, and the rest just kind of laugh. I mean, I get that you don't want your heroes to be perfect, as perfect characters are boring and unrelatable, but you do at least want them to be likeable. I shall not go over the critical reviews for this film yet, as I shall do that after next week's episode. However, for me, I find this film quite annoying to rate. There are some parts here that I quite enjoyed, but it generally seems to be bogged down by a lot of bad stuff. Part of me wants to give this film 6 out of 10, but ultimately, it is not as good as other films that I have given that grade to. Plus, although throughout the years I have seen this film three or so times, this is usually just because there's nothing else on TV, and it is not one that I'm going to go out of my way to watch again. Therefore, I shall give this first part a 5 out of 10. Thank you very much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing, liking, leaving a comment, and please join me on Thursday, where we shall be looking at the first two episodes of the Nickelodeon show House of Anubis, and then join me again on Monday, where we shall be looking at the second and final part of The Curse of King Tut's Tomb. I hope you all have a really good week, and see you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.